It's nice and warm. But it's pleasant in here, I think. At least I think it is. I've got a lot of material here. I better learn how to cut, hadn't I? Got about two hours worth of stuff, but I'll told Daryl I'll try to keep it down to uh, the right amount of time. Some time back, I have done a couple sermons on um, Matthew 25, first part. But I want to start today. We're going to go back into Matthew 25, so we'll go back and do that again. But let's turn over. Start with. We'll go to James chapter 2. That's where I would like to start today because I think it helps. I know our lives are so, sometimes get pulled aside. We get so tied up in this life that we forget that there's other things that we need to be doing. So here in James chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 14, where James speaking says, What does it profit, my brethren... Though a man say he has faith and and have not works, can faith save him? Well, we've seen that in the church for years. I've got faith. I believe in that. We have so many people tell us to believe in them. That's asking us to have faith in another person. But do we really have faith? And is that all it is required? That we just have faith? That we believe God's going to take care of things. He's going to help us. He's going to put us in His kingdom. You know, like these floods going across this country. Uh, what Gordon didn't point out, they've got a couple nuclear reactors, you know, power plants in that area. And the floodwaters have already gone across one of them. Well, the people that run the plants have faith that their uh, levees would hold, and they didn't. So sometimes we have faith, but does that save us? Just the fact that we have faith. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one say unto them, Depart in peace, be warm, be filled, notwithstanding you gave them not those things which are needful for the body, what profit is it? What does it do to say, Hey, I need help. I need your guidance. I need some help from you. Well, great. That's good. Uh, I've got faith that you'll make it. But what if you don't help them? If you don't give to them, then what? It doesn't do any good, does it? Even so, if it had not worked is dead being alone. So yes, I have faith that you'll make it, but I'm not going to give you a hand. Basically, does that help? No, faith of itself isn't enough. Yes, a man may say you have faith, and I have works. You show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Is that something that God requires of us? Yes, it is. God requires us to have works showing that we have that faith in God. So let's go then to Matthew 25. Since I've covered this uh, twice, I'm going to just 
add a couple points here. On I got a first point in Matthew 25, talking over the twenty, the ten virgins, ten people likened to the church. And I can think back as well as many in this congregation can look back in worldwide, where people said they had faith. They were virgins. They were called. Where are they today? Many of them are not there. It says there in verse 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins that took their lamps and went forth to meet their bridegroom. Well, we all studied. We all prayed. And somewhere down the line we became lax, didn't we? Somewhere down the line, five of these virgins didn't show a lot of works, did they? Well, they had faith that Christ was in charge of the church. They had faith they were in the right place. But they didn't show anything. They believed. But they did their own thing. And the other five had some works, didn't they? Because we look at the church today and see so little around. There in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4... But something that the virgins all ought to think about. We need to think about on a daily basis. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. So here's a person goes out there and says, It's too cold. Or there's a lion in the street. Or all kinds of things that say, I'm not going to be, a, you know, I don't have time. I, uh, I'm not going to do that today. It's raining, or, you know, like the song says, it's raining in, so I need to fix the roof. But it's raining, so I won't fix the roof. And then when it's not raining, well, it's not raining, so I don't need to fix the roof. So here's a sluggard. Someone who is not, says I have faith, but he's lazy. He doesn't get out and, and put the extra effort into it. Therefore, it goes on, Shall he beg in harvest and have nothing? What about the ten virgins? Five of them were taken in. Five begged for help. Five asked for guidance. Ask, can you give me some of what you have? No, you can't do that. You have to put forth the effort always. Again in Proverbs 10, verse 4. Proverbs 10.4 He becomes poor that deals with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Somebody who has faith and works. Somebody who's out there putting forth the effort to do whatever it takes to accomplish that goal. They had oil, didn't they? All ten of them. But somewhere down the line, they let their oil slip because they stopped producing. Romans 8, verse 9. Romans 8, 9. Here, Paul was inspired to write, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So we have God's Spirit, don't we? God's given to each one of us a measure of His Spirit 
for us to learn to grow with. <clears throat> and it depends then what you do with that spirit, doesn't it? If you're the sluggard who says, uh, my Lord delays his coming, I've got plenty of time. I think the church, for the most part, did that over the years. Well, we thought Christ would be here in 72, and boy, we were really fired up. We worked hard. We studied. We prayed. We put in hours of prayer and study day after day, getting up early so we get our prayer and Bible study in. But somewhere down the line, 72 came. I remember they telling us, you have two third tithe years, and then Christ will be here. Well, we didn't go, did we? We didn't go in 75, even though we read 1975 in Prophecy. I remember Charles Dorothy saying, well, it won't be 72, but it's more like 82. So 82 came, and 82 passed. And our spiritual leader died, so we had no counselor. Our leader's dead. And where are we today? We all sat back and said, we've got plenty of time. We've got abundant amount of time. That's the attitude of, I don't have to work. I believe that Christ is returning. I believe he's going to take and have a bride. I believe that this is the right place. I believe we've got to keep the Sabbath and the holy days. But then, anything else I don't have to do. I've got plenty of time. We've got to be careful in this day and time. With this group, we've had sermons preached here that come down hard on us. But I think God does that because He wants you to put forth a lot of effort. Sometimes go above and beyond what you think you're called to do. We have Christ's Spirit. And I said, because we have His Spirit, we are His. But He wants us to produce effort. So it goes on and talks about the bridegroom tarried, and they all went to sleep, and the church slept. And down the line, the call came out. It's time to meet the bride. So we trim our lamps. Do we have the background and the effort and the energy we should be doing daily to go and meet the bride? Five of them didn't, did they? They laxed in what they did. We all became Laodicean. And what Christ said to the brides, and I think it carries right on through the rest of the chapter, is that if you're not working... If you're not producing, if you're not struggling, fighting your own self, you're going to be put outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Revelation 3, verses 5, 15 through 17 tells us, Revelation 3, 15 through 17, Christ is speaking to the church. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. So here are people that have no works completely, people with some works, and some people that are hot. But for the majority of people, 
they just bumping along. Okay, I'll make it. I believe. I've got faith. I know God will heal me. He promises that. I know he'll help me with whatever finances I need. But we're not fired up. So here's a group of people that just are not fired up. And he says, because you are lukewarm, I speed you out of my mouth. Where is the church? Scattered everywhere because we weren't fired up. Because we didn't have the, the understanding that it's okay to be fired up. We thought it's okay to be lazy. It's okay to be a sluggard. It's okay if I pray today and maybe the end of the week or if I go to Sabbath services, that's all I need. So we've been given an assignment to do a deep in, in study. Why? Why do we get this assignment to do this deeper study? Because God's interested in who you are. He wants you to be a part of it. He doesn't want you to be just there. Lukewarm. He'd rather you be totally outside because he says, I can take care of that sometime down the line. He wants you to be fired up. And so he gives us things to fire us up. Because we think we are rich, it goes on in verse 17. Because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and know not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind and naked. That becomes an attitude that's hard sometimes to get by. God's called you and put you here for a purpose. He wants something more from you than just to be here. He'd just assume you weren't here. I remember listening to uh, Daryl's sermons back in uh, the early, uh, late, or mid-1999s and saying to the church, God has not stopped spewing you out. Why? Why is he still having people leave? Because they're just lukewarm. They think being here, being a part of the church, sitting in Sabbath services, or living where a group of people live is enough. No, it's not enough. It's not enough. God wants more, so he keeps pounding on us. And it's, it's good. Because he wants more from us than to be lukewarm. Matthew 25, verse 14. This becomes the second point that I have. The first point talks about the virgins. And now in Matthew 25, 14, shows something that he continues that same thought about being virgins, only a different way. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered them his goods. So here, the master of the house brought his people who had been doing the job. They had a job to do. He gave them the job to do. He knew they could do it. And he was going to go on a venture and come back. Well, here we know it's talking about Christ going to the Father. He gave to all of us a job. He expects you to do that job. That's why he gave it to you. 
in Mark 13, let's go to Mark 13, stay there in Matthew 25, or hold your finger there, we're coming back. In Mark 13, 34 through 37 says, The Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey. Christ, Emmanuel, is like a man, likening to a man who takes a far journey, who left his household and gave authority to the servants, to every man, his work, and commanded the porters to watch. So here he's saying, he left, he knows who you are, he knows what work you do, he's given you that job, expects you to carry on and do that job is the same way you would if he was here. Same thing. He didn't say, if I'm here, I expect this from you. I'm going away. I expect this same thing from you. Verse 35. Watch therefore, for you know not when the masters uh, of the house comes at even or midnight or a cock's crow or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you asleep. Isn't that talking about the virgins who fell asleep, didn't pay attention to when Christ was coming, didn't expect the Master to show up at midnight, so they took their leave, they took their time off. Oh, we believe Christ is there. He's talking about the same thing, isn't he? He's talking about the virgins who didn't put out effort like they ought to. Verse 37, And what I say unto you, I say unto all. says to everybody, watch. Well, you can't sit back and watch and not do something about it. You have to have an effort and an energy out there, and you have to be willing to bend over backward and go beyond the call. So he called his own service, servants, there in verse 14, and delivered unto them between the master, and you can understand this, between the master and the slave, it was common in olden times that the master would do that. The head of the house, the man that was in charge, would, when he left on a journey, when he left to do something, would expect his people to work and complete the jobs. We do that today, don't we? It's not uncommon for you to have a boss who may be the top head of a company to take off and deliver to you and expect you to complete the jobs he's given to you to do? Sure we do. They've got a program on TV, The Undercover Boss, and this last one went in there as an undercover to see how the people were doing. Maybe Christ is... Checking us out, see how we're doing. This undercover boss found one young man who was frustrated with his job, didn't do the way he should, found every excuse. And luckily, the master here, the head of this job, had a lot of compassion and showed him the mistakes that he was making. Sort of like Christ, isn't it? He's given you a job. He expects you to get out there and do it. And so what do we do? Well, I don't like what God gives me to do. I don't like that job. 
Well, Christ is a lot of patience. We've seen that through the 120 years, you know, that he dealt with the world till the floods in Noah's time. And we see 6,000 years now of people that God has dealt with and he's had that patience. He's patience with us. And that's a good thing. I'm certainly glad he's got a lot of patience with me and lets me stay around. So who then is? Who can we look at and say are his servants? Can we look out into the world and say the Protestants are Christ's servants? How about those that head of the governments? Whatever government there is in this world, whether it be the county or city or state or federal governments, are they considered God's servants? How about other religions? Again, back in in Romans 8.14, says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are you led by God's Spirit? For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Those are the ones that can cry out there and say, Father, help me. I looked up the word Abba because I wanted to say, well, why was it put in here in that form? I've been told over the past years it means Daddy, Father, but... It seems that it becomes a personal name for God. Personal. In Mark 36, we see Christ, prior to going to be captured and taken down and beaten and finally killed, saying to the Father, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto you. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not I, not, not what I will, but what you will. Here, Abba meaning Father, Father. The translations that I looked up saying Father. Abba meaning Father. Making it a personal, very deep personal relationship that we can get on our knees and say, Father, Father, help me. And knowing that he will be there. He will help you. In Galatians, Paul was inspired to write. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons. Speaking to us. Because you are sons. God has sent forth his spirit of his son. Unto our hearts crying. Abba, Father. Or Father, help them. Father, Father. And again in Matthew 23. Let's turn over to Matthew 23. Start in verse 1. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then spoke Emmanuel to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Does not the ministry today sit in that same seat as judge in the congregations. They sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. So here we're commanded 
that the ones that God sent to teach us, to show us his way, we need to follow that. Observe. And do. But do not you after their works, for they say and do not. A challenge to us to follow God's directions, a challenge to the ministry to not be a hypocrite. It's a challenge to us if we teach him, whether it be a sermonette or a sermon, that we live what we teach. That's a command. That's a challenge. Because here he said, don't follow their actions. But you are commanded to follow their teaching if it comes from this word of God. For they bind heavy burdens. I've been in the church long enough in years past to see heavy burdens bound on many, many people. A lot of burdens passed on them. Hard for them to handle. Hard for them to do. They bind heavy burdens and lay upon their shoulders, but they themselves will not move one finger. As a minister of God, teaching, it's a requirement that you live what you teach. It's hard, because being human beings, we make mistakes too. And we need God's help and God's forgiveness too. And we need your support. We need your help in teaching. Help us to keep the right track. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, that they may broaden their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Seen that? Happens in many of the the churches worldwide. Not, Not God's church, but of the world churches. The churches where they stand up and they have their short, you know, their collars on backward, or they have special dress that they wear. They they make a show of that. So when I'm out in public, you say, "Hey, I'm a minister, or I'm a priest, or whatever." And Christ said, "That's not what He wants." But all their works do they for to be seen of men. Is that? So it's a challenge, whether you think it or not. You know, you get hit maybe from sermons and told you've got to make changes, you've got to live by what's in here. So does the ministry. That's hit there. God says it's a very important job and you need to live that way. And love, you're talking about, I've seen this happen in the church over the years. They love the uppermost rooms at the feast. Many, many times I've seen it being in the church in Fort Myers and being in charge of festivals. How the ministry loved the better places in the feast, the chief seats in the synagogue, to be greeted in the marketplace and called Rabbi, Rabbi minister, you know, and you held them up on a high stand. If their works required it and did it, then that's a different story. But Christ goes on and says, But be you not called rabbi, for one is your master. So we're not supposed to be called God. Remember one of my kids 
coming up to one of the ministers because he was a big person, huge man. He called him God, and that man was really upset because he didn't want to be called God or rabbi or master. Although, as a little kid, you know, that's only about two and a half feet tall, and a man that's six foot and big enough that he fills the doorway and he walks in, it's scary to them. But at least this person said, you don't call me Master or God. Do you not call Master for Christ is... Uh, Master, even Christ, and all you are brethren. He's saying we're all on the same plateau. I was faced with that one time. Saying, you know, we're humans. We're all human beings. We all have the potential to become God. All of us here have the potential to become the bride of Christ. There's no one person that has a, a better key or a better quality to becoming God than anybody else. You all have the same opportunities. And call no man your father, 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 you know, your spiritual father, which we know happens. Call no man your, uh, call no man your father on earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven, and neither be called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you. Is your servant. So here, we're given the opportunity to see we have to become servants. Serving one another. Serving God. Serving the Father. Serving Christ. And whosoever shall exalt himself will be abased. It might not happen today or tomorrow, but eventually Christ says, and you can believe, He said, if you exalt yourself to be something more than you are, eventually you're going to find you're going to be abased. And he he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. When Christ returns, he's going to give blessings. And the same blessing to everybody. So... When we look out here and think, if somebody calls somebody Father on earth, what do you see happening? You see them breaking the third commandment because it's taking God's name in vain. So if we call a person, a physical human being, our spiritual father, we're committing and breaking the first or the third commandment. When he talks about giving here in Matthew 25, uh, giving his goods, what are those goods that Christ gives to us? It's important to understand that Christ gives goods. In Romans 12, verses 6 through 8 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, and that a gift, That's a job that some people have. That's a responsibility to prophesy. Let him prophesy. 
according to the proportion of faith. Or ministering, let us wait upon the ministering, or he that teaches on teaching. So those are jobs that are given. Or he that exhorts on exhortation, and he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. And he that rules with diligence, that he shows mercy with cheerfulness. Jobs that are given to people. These are the goods that are delivered, or some of the goods that are delivered to the people. To you, to me, to all of us. God delivers a gift. And He wants us to do something with that gift. And there in Matthew twenty-five fifteen on, talks about the five, the one man, He gave five talents. He gave five gifts. To another, He gave two. To another, He gave one. But it depended upon what the person could do. You can go back and read... 1 Corinthians 12, and it goes through these gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5 says, There are differences of administration, but the same Lord, the same God. There are diversities in operations. So not all the congregations or all the churches are operated the same way, but God's guiding it, isn't He? It's the same God working in all. He goes right on down through there. Seven, the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So manifestations of the Spirit. It's given to benefit everybody. Not all of us can do the same thing. We're not capable of doing the same thing. To some, given the, uh, the Spirit of wisdom, to another knowledge, another faith, another gift of healing... Down in ten, working of miracles to another prophesying, another discerning of the spirits. Can all of us discern spirits? Can all of us look at somebody else and grasp their nature? No, God gives a gift to that to somebody different, different spirits. For the body is one with many members. So he shows that relating to a human body, you have hands and feet, mouth, head, tongue fingers, toes. It's all one body. But each has a specific assignment. It'd be difficult, and I know it's happened, to try to write letters with just your feet so you have no hands. It's difficult. It's possible. But your hands are more capable of doing that. It's difficult for some people to speak. They, they, they well up. They, they just can't seem to get anything out. And others have no problem. So the body is likened as many members. The church is like that. And so when we go back and think of Christ gave to one five talents, to another two, another one. But he knew their capabilities. He knew what they could accomplish and what they couldn't do. And so he expects then something more from you than just to sit back and do nothing. Like the ten virgins, you know, five were 
somewhat prepared because they were able to go in to the wedding. And five were left outside where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth because they wanted to be there. But why weren't they there? Why didn't they show up? So he goes on here in verse 16 in Matthew 25. Then he that received five talents went and traded the same and made another five talents. He took what he had. He took the ball and ran with it. He put the effort and went above what was required and produced a lot more to it. Likewise, he that had two did the same thing. He took what he had, and, but he didn't accomplish five more. He only accomplished two more. But he went out and made something with what he had. Then there was the one who was given one. And what did he do? He got frustrated. Isn't it easy to do that? Well, I'm capable of doing what this other person did. Why didn't I get that job? I can speak. I can read. I can talk. You know, I can, uh, I can build things. I'm great at this, that, and the other thing. Why do I only get one task where he's got five? I'm as good as he is. I've had the same qualities. I've capabilities. That's human reasoning, isn't it? And so, instead of increasing, and see, Christ is not a respecter of persons. He offered each person the same reward, didn't he? As he says in verse 19, when the Lord returned, he comes and he reckons with them. And verse 20, and so he that received five talents came and brought another five talents and said, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Behold, I, I have gained beside them five more talents. Now notice, his Lord said unto him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of my Lord. When the second person came in with the two talents and showed that he had increased two. Verse 23, and his Lord said to him, now all he did is increase two. He didn't increase five, he only increased two. And he said unto him, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Same thing, isn't it? He didn't say, well, you can only have a smaller amount. No, he said, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Same thing. Make you ruler over many things. Enter you into the joy of your Lord. So he offered to everybody the same thing. Ruler over many things. When the third person came in, he would receive one talent, came in and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. You reap where you had not sown and gathered where you had not strewn. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the earth. And lo, there you have that which you gave me. 
God's given us maybe one talent. Maybe we can only accomplish one thing. But you know, God knows you as an individual. He knows who you are. He knows each and every person. And he's not going to put on you five talents if you can only do one thing. He wouldn't expect you, if you're a widow, elderly, to be able to go out here and build a platform to put water tanks up on, would he? First of all, you couldn't pick up the welding sticks, probably. Wouldn't know how. He wouldn't expect you, if you knew nothing about cooking, to go out there and prepare a meal for a thousand people. Wouldn't expect that. So he would never give you that job. He only gives you what you can handle. Can you handle it? Can you deal with that one? Or do we like this one man? <laughs> well, you know, you didn't love me. You're hard. And I know you expect me to give more. So I'm not going to do anything. I'll sit back and do absolutely nothing. And I'll protect what you gave me so I can give it back to you. Notice what he said in verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, You wicked and slothful servant. Wasn't that something we read back in Proverbs chapter 20? I don't want to go out there and work in the cold. Call him a, a wicked and slothful servant. Because you have a job, you have a responsibility. We've been given some new responsibilities, you know, even studying to prepare for more, to reach out eventually to show that God is God. Our responsibility. You know, Stephen was a servant. You know, he was a, made a deacon. But he went above and beyond that call. And he made the people know who God was. Well, they killed him. Yeah. But he wasn't angry about it. And he wasn't slothful. And neither was Paul. But he expects from us to get out and do something. So he called him a slothful servant, a wicked servant. You knew that I reap where I didn't sow. Do we not know that God expects from us more than to sit and hear? He expects us to, to grow. He expects us to take what he's given to us and expand it so much. The most we can. Double it. That's what God expects from us. You know you, where I sowed not and gather where I, where I didn't sow. You ought, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers. And then, at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. So he's saying, maybe you can't double it. Maybe it's not possible to take the talent and make two. Maybe it's only enough in you. You only have the capability of making one and a half. He expects you to increase. He doesn't expect us to sit still and do nothing. God wants more from us than to sit around and do nothing. When we do, call us a weak, you know, call us slothful, wicked servants. In Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin, slothful, wicked person, is death. 
put that in our minds and think. If we become slothful, lazy, we want to hide the talent and give it back. You know, I come to church, I sit in services. God's calling you. That's going to bring death. But the gifts of God is eternal life through Emmanuel the Christ, our Lord. So the gift that He's given to us is eternal life for work. James, remember, says, You show me your faith without works. Can you do that? Can you show your faith? Abraham had to show his faith. How? God said, I want to know, do you really love me, Abraham? Do you really want to do it my way, Abraham? Put your name there. Put your name in that. Does God really want to know whether you really trust Him? Here's the challenge. Do the job. Abraham was told to kill his son. Hard thing to think about. His son had to be willing to get up on those sticks. Had to be willing to have his hands tied behind his back, maybe. And Abraham had to be willing to take the knife to slit his throat. And his work proved it. Is our work proving that we are doubling what God gives to us? At least going out there and doing more as the most we possibly can with what gift he gives to us. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of your own selves. It is a gift of God. So we will be saved because it is a gift from God. But we have to have faith and works to do that. In First Timothy, or Second Timothy, chapter one, verse nine, uh, six. Wherefore, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the putting on of my hands. So we were baptized. We're now to stir that gift up. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Do we have fear? Are we fearful like this one man was? I'm afraid of God, so I'm not going to do anything with what he has. I'll hide it so I can give it back to him. He says, I've not given you the gift of a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's the gift of God. That's what helps us to go above and beyond what God has given to us. So he took the talent from the one and gave it to somebody else who can double it. He's telling us like he did in Revelation to the church. You can lose that crown. And if you lose it, it will be given to someone else that's more qualified because they're willing to do more than sit around and do nothing. The third point I have, which I won't go through, but just to point it out. That our responsibility is to help one another. Our job is to give above and beyond. Matthew 25, 35-46 tells us where Christ says, I was hungry and thirsted. And they say, well, when do we see that? 
when you have done that for the least of my brethren. So when we look out here and find somebody that's not capable, we do it to them, we're doing it to Christ. If we hide our talent, we're doing it to Christ. We're hiding from Christ. If we double our talents, we're doing that to Christ. Remember the Good Samaritan? The priest who thought he was better than this this poor person that was beaten, robbed, and almost dead? He walked the other side. The Levite came by and said the same thing. I'm not going to get my hands dirty because that guy's, you know, he might have AIDS. He's bleeding everywhere. But the Samaritan came by, like Christ, picked him up, took him in, took care of him, and left the stuff to heal him and take care of him while he was gone and paid for it. Now, we can be taking the talent, and maybe he didn't have much in the line of talents, did he? He did have the talent to love, to help, to share. So I find all three examples there in Matthew 25 all talking about the same thing. The ten virgins talking about the church. And whether we put forth effort or not. Whether we take what Christ has given to us or we hide what Christ has given to us. Sometimes we think God wants quantity. No, he doesn't want quantity. He shows that in the parable of the talents. He wants you to do with what he gives you. He wants quality. And you have that opportunity to be a quality. A quality person, as in the parable there of the Good Samaritan. He wants quality. He wants you to look at each other. He wants you to love each other. He wants you to love him. He wants you to take what he gave to you so that you can be a virgin that when the cry comes out, the bridegroom is here, you can say, I've been trying. I put forth the effort. I'm doing my job. Or will you be one that he says, I don't know you. So where do you stand? We have a job. He's given you a talent. Maybe two, maybe three, maybe ten. He wants you to take what he's given to you. Use it to the best you can. Do all you can, and then do some more. Don't sit back and challenge God that he is a fearful, hard-nosed individual. Because God is not that way. He shows his, his love, his faith, his trust. You have a job. You can say, I have faith, but you better have works along with it. Because your faith, if that's all that you have is faith, is dead. You might not be able to do a lot, but you can do whatever possible you can do.